welcome to Base Camp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. Hello, base campers. Hope you're all doing well. Well, we're back up and running the start of season six. And man, what a year 2024 is going to be. Can you sense all the excitement and tension, anxiety, and anticipation in the air? It's like everyone knows that you know what is going to hit the fan this year. It's like watching a giant global chess match between two fairly evenly matched opposing forces. For those that don't know, I took my family down to Phoenix before Christmas to see my dad, but also to attend Turning Point USA's America Fest. And man, was it inspiring. The lineup had a who's who of great conservative and libertarian speakers and leaders. Tucker Carlson was there, Charlie Kirk, Steve Bannon, Trump Jr., Candace Owens, Vivek Ramaswamy, Kerry Lake, James O'Keefe, as well as people that I just became aware of like NBA star Jonathan Isaac and North Korean escapee Yomi Park. The narrative was uplifting. The vibe was one of inspired courage and commitment at this crossroad in our nation's destiny. I highly recommend attending for anyone that wants to get plugged in. One of the most inspiring things was seeing all the young people, college and even high school kids in the audience. Our future. These young adults are strong in their values and know that we live in the greatest country in the world. They aren't buying all this Marxist woke nonsense, and they can articulate all the reasons why. It gave me a sense of hope to see a generation behind me with such strong values and faith. These young people are unshakable. Another thing that struck me about America Fest was how Charlie Kirk said that 2024 would be the year that he planned on working the hardest he's ever worked to help save this country he loves so much. Think about that. This is one of the hardest working conservatives I know of. Steve Bannon more or less said the same thing, and the message was loud and clear. We have incredible people on our side but the restoration of America is up to each and every one of us. We all have a role to play. 2024 will not be a year of complacency for any of us. It's a year of summoning your courage, finding your voice, and getting out of your comfort zone. We need good people to counter the onslaught of the AI-driven fear and division that they're pumping at us. Today's guest is someone I am so pleased to meet and get to know. She is the author of a couple books we'll talk about, and she exemplifies the American spirit. Smart, a good critical thinker with a healthy dose of American rebel. Remember, base campers, if the rebellious streak that runs through our American DNA, that great anti-authoritarian rebel spirit, leaves the gene pool, how on earth will we summon courage to face what we need to face? For the rebel spirit and courage go hand in hand. Let's have a 2024 worthy of our American lineage and one where we can all stand tall no matter what our political leanings are, knowing we were in the fight to save our great nation. Let's go get to our first interview of season six. It's a good one. Enjoy. Dana Martin is an advocate, speaker, educator, and author of three books about parenting and homeschooling. Dana has been featured on The Dr. Phil Show, CNN, Nightline, 60 Minutes, among many others. I caught up with her to chat about her book, Radical Unschooling, and we chatted about changing the context that we educate our children with and why freedom is so vital for our kids. Here's my interview with Dana Martin. All right. I am here with Dana Martin mother of four, author, thought leader in the area of educating our children, Dana Martin. Dana, welcome to Base Camp for Men. It is great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, you know, I came across your 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 material, maybe it was on Instagram. I don't know. I was clicking around on some freedom 
loving people and some people that were doing interesting work. And I found your website and got your books. And I was just like, God, I really want to get this woman on. You're just doing such excellent work in homeschooling and just your, you have alternate views on educating our children. But I, I love how you're just, you're questioning, you know, uh, can we do it better is kind of seems to be where it's coming from. Isn't there a better way to do it? Um, and so I guess my first, you're a, you're a mother of four. And I guess my first question is how did you start kind of forming your philosophy that would, that would become your book radical unschooling, which was an excellent book, by the way. Um, how did you, how did you first kind of start to come to the realization? Did you come from, parents that were, you know, alternative where they're like, no, you know, uh, I'm going to homeschool you or, you know, where was the sort of aha progression that had you um, kind of dig into this philosophy, um, homeschool your four kids in a great way, um, and then write about it and all this? What was the the impetus? Were you going to send them to, to uh, public schools, the first one, say, or like, what was the what was the wake up call for you? Uh, and what did that look like? Well, I wasn't raised this way. I was raised pretty traditionally. I went mm -hmm. to public school and all through my life. And I didn't hate public school personally. I enjoyed it. I was a really good student. And it wasn't something that I decided to do out of trauma from my own experience. Junior mm -hmm. high and high school was different. I felt it wasn't very free. And I felt the assumption of negative intent was so strong. And I never liked that. But when I had children, I, with my first son, I gave birth to him in a hospital. The other three I had at home, but my journey started giving birth in a hospital and I had a natural birth, which was really groundbreaking for my family lineage because everybody had C-sections. And so for me to do that and be so empowered after the experience, it started to lead me down a direction that no one else had gone before in my family and friend circle. And after I gave birth to my son, Devin, who's now 25, I was holding him and the nurses came into the room and turned on the TV and everybody was yelling and screaming and saying, oh, my gosh, something's going on. And she turned on the television and the Columbine shootings were happening live. Mm. And as I held him, I was watching parents through the news, this live news footage of children jumping out of windows and parents screaming. And mm. it was a horrible scene after giving birth and having this amazing positive experience, this empowering experience. And I thought to myself. How many of those parents and children wished that they were home together that day, but didn't feel that they could? Yeah. You know, how, how many of them would have rather been pursuing what they wanted and their interests and being together and enjoying life together, but they were in that mental prison of this having to be this way. And so it was in that moment I decided to, that I would always give my children the choice to go to school or not. Now, this decision wasn't made out of fear. I wasn't in a fear place that I didn't want them to get shot. And so, oh my gosh, they're never going. It was more of a children's rights feeling came to me that, wow, people should have the freedom to choose. And so everything started with me there, as well as parenting in a way that most people I knew weren't. Now, the internet had just come into my life like months before I gave birth. So there wasn't much on online about the type of parenting I was doing, but I always held my babies when they wanted to be held. I nursed them when they were hungry or even when they weren't hungry, if they wanted to nurse, I, I co-slept. I did all these things that were considered really radical 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, 
got so many warnings and oh, it was really hard to walk this path and they weren't vaccinated and everything I was doing was outside of the range of traditional. Um, and so I learned that that was called attachment parenting. And I just kept doing what I had been doing from the beginning. And that was to trust my children. I didn't think they were trying to manipulate me when they cried. Like everybody told me they were, I right. trusted them. I held them. It was a very beautiful experience. And so I just kept parenting them that way through their whole childhoods into adulthood. And I can go into more detail about what that means, but radical unschooling is the philosophy to me, that's an extension of an intuitive, primitive, respectful way to parent. That's beautiful. You know, I, I love that whole philosophy. I, you had written uh, in um, the book that you, that quote, you believe that what my children are learning is their business and it's not right or necessary to prod their minds to see what they know, unquote. And you also said, I trust my kids and their learning process. This is kind of, it seems, Data, it seems so common sense and intuitive and heart-centered, yet that is not the normal way we do it. We we almost send them, there's this kind of like unwritten or unspoken kind of sentiment that we have to almost like have to send them there to get them in shape for life. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yes. And and they parents would never say, I don't go there to send them to teach them obedience or to obey authority, but that is damn sure what they're getting in spades. And, uh, you know, I mean, it is radically different to say, uh, and you said in one, in one of your books too, you, you, you really honor your children and their path. And I think I think they're still in, and I'm, I can be totally guilty of this. I have a 16 year old. I can be guilty of this same thing of thinking that I think you said something like we tend to think of children as our apprentices that we've got to sort of, you know, teach them, you know, all these different things along the way. And they're, you know, getting them ready for adulthood and, and we're sort of smarter and wiser and more experienced. So we know better, but it removes their voice and their all the unique ways that children really do know their path they don't need necessarily our instruction nearly as much right right and traditional parenting is in the authoritarian paradigm and that's when the parents needs for obedience and compliance and behavior modification is really focused on and in a more partnership-based approach it's honoring the needs of everybody in the family and also honoring their learning path so it's very different in that I'm not my child's teacher. I'm not the one standing in front of them, pouring knowledge into them as the all-knowing authority, but I, I am their learning facilitator. And there's been so many times, I mean, even to this day where my my kids, because they know I'm in partnership and not the authority being mm -hmm. driven by ego, where they teach me so much. I learn so much from my kids. And so it's a, it's a give and take. And so the role is to be their guide and a very big support person, help facilitate what they want to do in life, meet their needs. And in turn, you grow so much as a parent because the authoritarian paradigm, it's so mm -hmm. closed off and you really can't grow much as a parent because this way you're really challenged with your own childhood. Like you're really, you're, you're put in a path to examine the way you were raised mm -hmm. and to understand why you are the way you are and how much of it is attributed to how the adults in your life growing up treated you mm -hmm. and what they thought of you and what you were allowed to do. And with freedom, children make really good choices. 
I think there's that's the that's the crux of it, right? Because I mean, I had I love my parents. I had great parents, but I was definitely raised in the traditional authoritarian um, where, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say, you know, the culture I was raised in trusting the kids was like, <laughs> that was not something that was spoken very often. You know what I mean? It was almost like they were barely able to keep us out of all the trouble that we were trying to get into. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Parenting is not very convenient <laughs> to that, 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 um, generation for sure. Yeah. Because the the focus on the role was really really different, and also I think it probably stems a lot from religion and different things going way way back in the authoritarian dynamic that children are born bad and need to be trained to be good. That's mm -hmm. not true. It's a whole different belief system of children being good people, and they want to make good choices and they want to do good things and they want to be seen as the good people they are. I mean, yeah. how many times? Did you, were you misunderstood as a child in your intentions? Yeah, plenty, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. plenty. Yeah. And it really is soul crushing when people yeah. don't understand you and they think you're trying to be bad when you're just misunderstood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I, Dana, I'm still being, being misunderstood with this vaccine thing right now. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> you, and, you and me both. <laughs> I'm still experiencing it in certain groups. I'm like, I'm not saying you, you know, you're bad for getting it. I'm just saying, I don't want to get it for me, you know, and it's just, right. oh my God, it's just been terrible. Um, you know, one of the things you hear about uh, homeschooling, I wanted to give you a chance to address this. You always hear this, the socialization piece, like you always hear uh, you know, this kind of objection of like, yeah, but, you know, if we homeschool and they're going to be insulated and they're going to, they're not going to be able to, you know, they're not going to know how their peers think, or they're not going to have friends or any of this, you know, like you hear that a lot and it rings as kind of not really all that true, but I wanted to give you a chance to talk about it. Cause whenever homeschooling comes up, you certainly hear the, well, I want my kid around other kids. That's important to me. Yeah, well, this is a big one to unpack because, well, for one, the first thing I remember hearing when I started school at six years old was you're not here to socialize. Mm -hmm. well, that's an interesting, interesting thing to think about. But people don't really think about the fact that children in school for 12 years, they're in a brick building all day, every day away from the real world. Mm -hmm. And it's a very artificial environment. And that's why we need to prepare kids for the real world, because they're not in it. But yeah. unschoolers, homeschoolers in general, they're in the real world every day. And, and I think homeschooling in general has got a bad rap because a lot of people did choose to homeschool years and years ago for reasons mm -hmm. to keep their kids away from society and to have their own ideals. And I, I think that a lot of kids wouldn't make the choice to be home, that we're forced to be home to homeschool, where this is more about respecting where a child wants to spend their time and where they want to be. And when you make home a loving place to be where their needs are met and they're happy, they want to be there. And so children in school are in a brick building all day, every day, age segregated, which is a very unnatural dynamic. Yeah, It's not healthy at all. There's never a time in life where we are forced to be around people we don't want to be around. If we have a job where we're working with somebody who's a bully, we can quit. We always have freedom to leave, but children in school don't. And it's mm -hmm. age segregation is more damaging than people realize. I believe that too. Yeah. It's very, very unnatural. I mean, if we believed in that today as adults, you and I probably wouldn't be talking because you're not 50 like I am. Yeah. I'm guessing. <laughs> right. 
you don't look it. So I'm assuming you're not, but you know, it's one of those things that when kids are homeschooled, their friend group isn't based on the fact that they're the same age as somebody. It's based on mutual interests. Now my kids have had, they have friends all different ages. My daughter's have had her best friend six years older than her, and they've been friends their entire childhood. My son, when he was eight years old, his one of his good friends was an 82-year-old woman a couple of houses down, and she would teach him how to knit, and they'd play checkers. Age segregation is damaging because kids are bullied if they hang out with the younger kids. Yeah. And the older kids don't want to hang out with them. And so you're stuck in this really, really narrow social circle. And so the whole socialization aspect too, there's so many angles to it because some people feel like socialization, good socialization means they learn to deal with difficult situations. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a big question is how are they going to deal with bullies in their life? Right. How are right. they going to deal with difficult people? Well, when you're, we're not at home all day, every day, we're out in the real world. In fact, my kids were always the only ones usually at the library during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, we're in so many different places where they see difficult people because they're living life by my side and we have family and you know people that we know that have been difficult and we talk about it and help them navigate friendships homeschooling is so accepted now compared to what it was when I started yeah there are homeschooling co-ops real life situations come up all the time the huge difference is your kids aren't alone going through the difficulty and that's why it's a huge benefit because we're there to help facilitate and help them navigate these situations and mediate between kids. Yeah, you 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 brought up something there. I think that's really really important is that uh, with the age segregation is it's not only damaging to the kids, it's damaging to the elderly uh, generation. You know how it's funny with kids. It's almost like they don't always want to listen to mom and dad, but it's almost like it skips a generation. You never notice how how like. They love the older folks like my my son loves my my parents, you know, he's just like he's so much more um, receptive to them than he is to his mother and I sometimes. And I and the and the older generation loves seeing the young generation. That's what that's their legacy. But we don't we don't get we don't get that created at all in our education system when they age segregate. You don't ever hear. You know, you don't ever hear an 82-year-old that's coming into the classroom with all these different, you know, you have to really um, seek that out. Um, I don't, did you ever read any of, um, there was a famous um, school teacher named John Taylor Gatto, John Taylor Gatto, are you familiar with him? Uh, he was my mentor, actually. He's the one that encouraged me. We were good friends. He encouraged me to write. Oh, like, yeah. He, yeah was, he he endorsed the book. It's on the back. I love him so much. I love I, I read his book years ago. But, you know, he was all I remember him saying, you know, the homeschooling kids are going to be head and shoulders brighter and more ready for life than the te- than the kids coming out of public school. And he was a public public school teacher. And he yeah. was just so radical in his approach where he would like send his kids out, you know, he would take like, you know, the the ones that were struggling the most in public school. And he recognized that public school wasn't great in the way it was set up for all the reasons that you mentioned. Uh, and he would send them out and like, go take an internship, go study, go tell me what your plan is. What do you want to learn? And then he would champion them going out of the classroom to go, you know, mentor with somebody and then the kid would end up thriving. And I just remember going, oh, my God, that is such a better approach 
than the the round hole through the square peg approach that they that they seem so committed to doing. You know what I mean? I'm I'm so happy. I didn't see that that he'd endorsed the book, but I'm so happy that you had known him. I I, I guess your book reminded me of some of his philosophy as well. Yeah, he was a real inspiration to me, and mm-hmm. I've we've spoken at events together many times. And that's I, great. I wrote the afterword for the re- revised edition of um, one of his books, so I'm excited when that's released. But that's great. yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people in this awareness, and something John Taylor Gatto wrote that really opened my eyes way back when was he said the actual learning that happens in school is only about two hours. Mm. I mean, the amount of time that children could have pursuing what they want if they weren't forced in that environment is is amazing. And not only is the learning only two hours, but it's not even learning if the child doesn't want to be learning it. It's memorization. Yeah. And so it's just a wasted childhood on so many levels, and it's difficult. But parents are just really filled with fear. Yeah. And a lot of times they think that if they're living in the authoritarian paradigm, even even gently, where they don't spank their kids and they they're doing their best to navigate things peacefully, a lot of it's really steeped in control. They're trying to control and limit and punish. And all of that is really, really negative feeling. And so they can't imagine having a child at home on top of it and having to force or push a curriculum on top of all the exhaustion they're already dealing with. And one thing I like to share with people is that unschooling is very, very different. My kids have never done a workbook page in their lives. They've never been forced to learn anything they don't want to learn. They've never sat down and been told they have to read something. They've never taken a test. Mm. But yet they're very successful, happy adults, which, mm. which you know, and my kids are really little and I would was an advocate traveling and speaking and writing. I believed in the philosophy wholeheartedly and I knew all this would happen, but I didn't really have the quote unquote proof. Right, but at right. Stage, yeah. It's so nice because my children are grown now and Sometimes I look back and I say, like, how did I have the courage to do this back then? But I I just did. It just comes from within and having support. And this is one of the reasons that an interview like this is so good, because I don't want people to feel like they're alone and they don't have to do it the traditional way. They don't have to do a curriculum at home. There's so many different ways to go about it. And your life should be joyful with your kids. Parenting should feel positive and happy most of the time. I mean, it doesn't mean difficulties don't come up, but your life can be very different than it currently is if your child's in the system. Mm. What, you know, you'd mentioned that, that people, for, for lack of a better way of saying it, that people are sort of brainwashed as to their, um, their misconceptions about what education is. Like, what are, what are some of the ways that people, what are some of the things that have people sort of say, there's no way I could do that? Like, what are the misconceptions? What are their assumptions about maybe what their kids are getting in education that they assume uh, that if they don't send them to public school or private school, then X will happen. Their their kids will be failures or, you know, my kid's never going to, he's never going to leave the house after he's done because he's not properly prepared. Like what, what are some of the ones that people think, you know, that may people might, labor under their misconception about what particularly public education provides or doesn't provide? Well, I think that people feel, I mean, you have to unbrainwash yourself for one and decondition Mm -hmm. as seeing life being broken down into subjects, seeing math, English, science as all being separate and something a child has to learn Mm -hmm. through force or coercion, or they won't learn it. And we've never broken life down into subjects. I've never said to my kids, we're doing math, English, science, because that's not how the real world, how the real world works. We're Mm -hmm. just live life together. 
know, pursue interests. And so the misconception is that children won't learn something unless they're forced or talked into it or graded or per persuaded to. But the reason people think that is because they weren't trusted as children themselves. So they, they don't know it's possible. And they don't know it's possible that it, for a human being to learn and grow on their own and that it will naturally happen without any of that. Mm -hmm. So I think it does take really examine, re-examining what you believe. As many people that listen to your podcast probably already do in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's just to extend it to parenting and to education to say, why do I believe that? Is that necessary? There's, we're not doing that right now. We're not saying, oh, we're doing social studies right now. It doesn't make sense. It would be silly to say that. My kids have never had that concept. But yet, if you were to break our life down into subjects, just for sake of seeing how we go about it, you would see that living life and, and facilitating their interests does touch on all of those things. Mm -hmm. But we're but, not all meant to do the same thing in life. We're yeah. on this earth for a different reason. And what, Dana, Dana, what, what about like... Because I, I could hear a devil's advocate saying, well, how how would the child get good at math if they never bring up that they want to learn math and you're not you're following them? And wouldn't that, you know, would they be short on math? I mean, maybe it's not important to have that. It's it's we've always grown up with the assumption that a math background is gives you solid like reasoning skills or problem solving skills. You know, um, if you were going to be a doctor or an engineer, say you would need a really healthy dose of that. I think otherwise, I don't know if you could keep up with the students that, that were steeped in that. And so what, what would you say to that? Um, in your philosophy, could you, would, would the child be that was really going to be an engineer? Is it really his destiny, his or her destiny and that child would be like, oh, my God, I love math. I love playing with blocks. I like building stuff. What's the what's the ratios of this with with their intuition and their their own curiosity lead them to being really exploring math in more depth? Or do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes kids, maybe they don't know they're good at math, but then they take it and they're like, oh, man, I really like this. I never knew that that I was good at math until I took, you know, three years, three years of it in school. Well, that's a great question. So. Reading, writing, and math are all tools to help mm -hmm. us get more of what we want in life. And what human wouldn't want to learn them if they need them and when they need them. Mm -hmm. And so math is learned really naturally as it comes up in life when it's a useful tool. An example is I was uh, down in the kitchen the other day and my son, who's 15, was on the couch and he was watching a video on YouTube. And I said, oh, what is this? And he said, oh, I'm learning trigonometry. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, I really, really need it to be able to build the rest of this game I'm coding. And I said, oh, wow, I didn't even know that coding or games use trigonometry. He said, oh, yeah, it's really important, mom. And I've got it down. I've got it almost figured out. And, <laughs> he, and so he, when you need the tool, that is when you learn it. Learning it out of context is very, very difficult. Yeah. He said, mom, trigonometry is easy. Now, I'm not saying he's a genius and he just picked it up, but because he had a use for it and made sense for him in yeah. using the tool is when he picked it up. And I... I look back on my life and everything I've learned, I've learned as I've needed it. And so math has been something all of my kids have just learned naturally in different ways as that tool has been necessary. So what would be the point of even learning math if we didn't need it in life just to That's help great. us live better? That's so great. it really is the same with reading and writing. It's the same way. And, and people have never looked at it like this. And it's crazy how how 
how it kind of flips everything we've ever been taught in our head. So instead of learning, cramming all these things in the kid's head, that doesn't make sense. There's they no, con there's no context for it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And here your son is like, I need this. I need to study this to get this project done that I really want to do. And, and so I'm going to dig into YouTube and teach it to myself, you know, in a really quick manner because I want to get going on this. <laughs> it's right. got some, it's got some urgency to studying as well. You know, like I want to learn yeah. And he and he didn't even have any concept that I said to him because we're have because I'm an advocate for this life. And I'm like, I said, Do you realize that trigonometry is thing something that scares a lot of people? Even me, even hearing yeah. that makes me go, What? And he's like, Why? He's like, Why? I said, Well, people in school are forced to learn it and it seems really, really complicated. And yeah. he said, Well, it's not when you understand what you need it for. Oh my God. That and is I, it kind of blew my mind. So there's many, many moments in life where my kids have just blown my mind with things and said said it. So if your child is drawn to being an engineer, they'll pick up the math they need to to yeah. continue the further they get down down the path. It, did you I, I struggle with this as a parent? I we caved on the technology thing kind of probably way too early. I live in a tech city. Uh, how, how did you, how do you navigate that? You know, um, you know, did you, if, if you're letting them, like my son loves technology, he really does. And I don't blame him. It's amazing. And there's amazing applications and all this, but I worry that, you know, I'm not there looking over his shoulder. I'm not like that either as his mother. And, but you know, him and his friends are just got, they got their phones attached, uh, and they're just right there, you know, and I just am like, oh man, did I, did we cave too long? Uh, you know, there's plenty of parents that are like, look, it's, it's part of the fabric of society. Like you can't really delay it. And I've also had other parents are like, no, we didn't get him a smartphone. You know, we just got him a flip phone, which is a way of kind of pumping the brakes on everything. Um, how did you navigate that as a, as a parent? My kids have always had freedom with technology their whole lives. Mm -hmm. um, and so I've always supported it. And my kids have all had differing levels of interest in it. Mm -hmm. So I've always been supportive of them. And if they have questions come up, we talk about it. Of course, we've had so many conversations about it. Yeah. Everything from the basics, not giving your information out and talking, you know, come showing me different messages if they get anything weird. And mm -hmm. we've, it's been a very, very open conversation about mm -hmm. safety mm -hmm. and also about addiction with like TikTok and things like that. Now, I don't believe that necessarily that it has an addictive quality, but talking about other people feeling as though it could be an addiction. Yeah. Yeah. You know, how their society split in that way. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people come to me for support thinking their child's quote unquote addicted screens and how can they get them off and, and navigating that is unique to each family. But I think that parents have a lot of fear because even in the naturally minded community, it was very anti-tech when I was raising my kids, mm -hmm. very much, even before social media, anti-tech was a big thing. And so me having freedom with technology was really radical in that community. Mm -hmm. And when I realized that it's a, it's a tool that can help my children learn we don't want to throw out every single tool. We just have to be by their side as we navigate it. Now with teens, I don't mean that I'm sitting right there making sure I check everything they watch, but uh, we talk, have open conversations about it. So it's one of those things that's very, the most difficult thing I think for people when it comes to freedom and children. Um, but technology, I can't even imagine our lives without it. We yeah. 
learned so much. We have done so much as a family with technology, everything from, it brings us together. You know, it really, really does. It can be used as a tool for connection rather than contention. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's really all in how you view it. Now, if you're limiting your kid's technology and you're only allowing them on it for an hour a day or whatever it is, it causes a very unnatural relationship with it because yeah. anything being limited or controlled causes um, a dynamic of your child wanting to do nothing but that. Yeah, you're right. And so uh, humans have a baseline desire when they're born for freedom. We all do. And when a parent doesn't trust you and they're limiting something, that's a learning tool. Now, I'm not saying it only has to be educational things, but for example, my daughter is a, she uses uh, social media. It's part of her job. She's a brand manager for designer clothes and different things like that. And so when she was younger, she would watch YouTube videos about makeup and things like that. She learned so much. Now, if I just looked at it as quote unquote screen time, which I think is a disrespectful term yep. because it's not valuing or seeing what the child's using it for, yeah. she wouldn't have learned anywhere near as much as she learned. And then I have a son who my firstborn who never really used it. He was out in the woods and building Viking houses and survival shelters and skinning rabbits. And he was such a nature-based kid. And then my daughter came along and she was much more technology-based. And I didn't value how she was learning or what she was doing any more than he was. They were mm. both people. And so I think we have to let go of all of our preconceived ideas surrounding these things and instead connect with our kids. I love it. I love it. You're you're so it's such an elegant approach, Dana. I just really respect. Um, you know, you you don't. There's a lot of parents that have their way of doing it, and then like, but then there's technology as if that's a completely separate topic, and maybe I'm going to change my tune because, you know, it's addicting or whatever. But your your philosophy and your approach is so elegant that it doesn't. Every single topic is approached the same way. What is the child's curiosity what's the maximum learning what's there and and that you value freedom so much i just so appreciate that particularly coming out of covid i don't know about you i mean you're in florida so you had a governor that that was standing for freedom but i could not believe how many people just caved it, it i i was seeing almost to me it seemed like here is the product of public education uh, multi-generational, like we have to listen to Tony Fauci. We must listen to, you know, the, 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 the pharmaceutical companies, they, they must have our best interests in mind. Cause that's what the quote unquote experts are telling us. I was shocked at the lack of, uh, critical thinking. Um, it, it all, it was almost like, I didn't feel like I was really even allowed to have a dissident uh, a viewpoint of the shots of what COVID was of, you know, that I wasn't as afraid. I didn't want to wear a mask, all these different things to me. I was like, there's, there's no way people are going to go along with this. And then I'm in Seattle. Everybody went along with it, you know, besides me and like a handful of people I knew and I couldn't help, but think why is there not more kind of, critical thinking around this. Why are we, why is there so much compliance? And it brought it, the reason I bring it up is it kind of brings me back to mass public education where, you know, I, 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 I say 
it's there to dumb the kids down. And I'm not saying that out of disrespect for any public school teachers that might hear this or even any, anybody that really loved their public education and they're free thinkers and they're, they've been successful. I'm not, I'm not getting granular. I'm just saying that uh, I could see the impact of public education and public indoctrination into government schooling when the pandemic was rolled out and so many people just said, look, we, we can't question this. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, why can't we, I don't know what's in these, these so-called vaccines. Why can't I ask, you know, when I asked what's in this and they said, well, we can't really say. And if we did, we've never really done this before. It's like, well, then I have a few more questions, but people really weren't going down that road at all. And I, and I, I thought of public education in my neck of the woods when there was so much compliance to authority. Yeah. I mean, I think fear was a huge motivator. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons why parents wouldn't jump into unschooling or homeschooling because of fear. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's it's trained into you to be fearful and yeah. kids in school from age four and five are told to be fearful. If they don't follow this path, then they're not going to be anything in life and they're going to be failures. And people are, motivated by fear instead of trust mm -hmm. i think in another 50 years it would be a whole different story if this happened if more and more people are choosing a path like this because we're raising free thinkers by trusting our kids trust yeah. is what it takes is to trust people when they're young and they grow up stronger and they don't rely on authorities they don't default and not trust their instinct so it's very intuitive and i think it also starts at birth I mean, I think this is something that starts at birth when women are giving birth and they have to rely on experts and authorities when they could be trusted and supported to have a birth the way that they were meant to. Yeah. But when a woman's journey is undermined with all modern technology, it can really begin the whole path of relying on experts then. And yeah. so this is a big topic for me as a as a midwife and everything uh everything else like this is that i want mothers and babies to be trusted in the beginning because fathers want to trust and if the whole family unit could be in a more natural trusting place we wouldn't be in the mess that we're in today that's so true that's so true uh dana thanks so much for coming on you know we'll mention the books in the outro uh the recorded outro i'll do uh, but I wanted to give you a chance. Where can people find you? Where can new parents uh, get your information, maybe work with you? Do you have programs? Like if if the conversation was interesting and people like, hey, I want to find out more about what this woman's doing and what kind of work and resources she has, where do they find you uh, and what you got going on? Um, yeah, you could find me on my website. So danamartin.com, D-A-Y-N-A, martin.com. I have a number of different classes. I have a few programs. I have a doula certification and an advocacy certification and all different programs to help support you on your path. Also an unschooling program. And, I, and my favorite thing to do is one-on-one -on -one coaching. So if anybody needs any parenting coaching or just to find out more on how to navigate things with your kids peacefully, difficult situations and things that come up, I'm here to help support you. I'm also on Facebook and on Instagram. You could find me there as well. I'm happy to, to answer any message, any questions you have. And I thank you so much, Tony, for having me on and for everybody listening. Thank you so much, Dana. It was really great to chat with you. I, I, this will be one of the early ones of this coming season. So thank you so much for your time. And we look forward to connecting with you again. Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview as much as I did. Hopefully, Dana and I can connect again as we didn't really get into her book, Raising Rebels. And come on, with a title like that, how can I resist? To find Dana and resources on exploring her parenting and homeschooling ideas and philosophy, go to www.danamartin.com. Dana is spelled D-A-Y-N-A, so that's danamartin.com. Thank you, base campers. It's good to be back with you, and we'll see you around the fire next week. If you find value in our show and wish to show us some love, we are now making that very easy to do. You simply go to www.basecampformen.com and click on Donate Support Basecamp. You'll find an easy way to make either monthly donations for as little as $5 a month, or you can donate just once. We love the monthly donation and hope to build this up over the coming months, but any show of support is greatly appreciated, honestly. Thank you for your support and for helping to keep Basecamp as a resource on your hero's journey. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. Men, good luck in all your endeavors, and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Base Camp for Men.